0: Welcome to Episode 1 of Advanced Scout, your favorite podcast about clutch baseball, a card game that's actually a board game about a ball game. I'm Paul Seely, manager of the Fed Wheezy Fusion. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is aimed at discussing strategy of clutch baseball. It will assume that you understand the basic rules of the game, but not every nuance of them. My goal is not to give you direct answers, it's to give you framing to think about the game and discover those answers for yourself. I may include more specific opinions, but those will be clearly identified. For this episode, let's just talk about general team building philosophy. In a standard league, everyone gets 6,000 points. Your goal in team building is to get the most out of those points as you can. There are a few ways to do this. First, be careful about points on the bench. If you're going to use them, fine. But if you are using them, you're wasting them. Second, spending enough points on eddings that you can comfortably not pitch tired, but not too many that you're wasting points. Too many will be a different bar for different people. But if your entire rotation is 8 or 9 inning starters, and your bullpen is also full of 3 inning relievers, that is obviously not a smart decision. Third, most importantly, spending points on the traits that you're going to be using the most, and not spending points on traits that you won't use at all. Let's dive into what that means. We all have opinions on what's important to spend on and what's not. Some people believe that going to Qdoba three times a week is a poor use of resources, and some people are enlightened. I certainly have my own opinions. More important than that, however, is that you have a general idea of how to maximize what you are spending on. You have control over this in two ways, strategy card selection and a stadium selection. I'm of the belief that the first thing you should use to determine how you want to build is strategy cards. You will get your home stadium every other game. You will get your strategy deck every game. How you use your strategy cards is by far the biggest way you can consistently find value over your opponent. I often see strategy decks that go in a lot of different directions and don't have a coherent theme of what they're trying to do. It's like when you were a kid and you go to the soda fountain and you just put every flavor together in the cup. Separately, there's nothing wrong with any of those flavors, except Mr. Pibb, but they just don't make sense together. We will talk more about archetypes and themes in future episodes, but you need to determine what groups of strategy cards you want to use. You don't want your team to revolve around maximizing use of one card. You want your team to revolve around a group of at least 10 to 20 cards that you consider to be the best, then fill in the cards that synergize with those from there. Even if we have different opinions on what these groups of cards are that work the best, a manager using what I think is a sub-optimal archetype, but has a cohesive strategy, will be the manager using what I think is an optimal archetype, but doesn't have a cohesive strategy. This is why we tend to see very good managers do well with a variety of strategies. In previous years, I do think it could be argued that one archetype was so much better that it outweighed this factor. I do not think that this is the case currently. Stadium selection can provide you a huge boost in home games. I'm generally of the philosophy that you should determine the best strategy cards, build a team around it, finding a stadium that works with that team build, and then tweak your team within reason from there. If you think that there are multiple groups of strategy cards that are fairly similar in value, then you can use stadium selection to determine your direction. But if you think, for example, that stealing strategy cards aren't worth it, don't go with a stealing-based team just because you like a stadium that works well with it. Now that you have a group of strategy cards and a stadium that you want to use, it's time to build. Keep the following ideas in mind. One, there are different ideas on how to maximize the value of a strategy card. Some managers think that the best way to maximize value of an offensive strategy card is to have good pitching and let the offensive strategy card turn a mediocre hitter into a good one. The idea behind this thinking is that there are diminishing returns on value. If you roll a 25 on Ken Griffey Jr's chart, You don't get two home runs, you still hit one. There are other managers who think that the best way to maximize value is to have your best cards used by your best players to put them in the best position to succeed. I am generally of this mindset, but it's up to you to test this out for yourself. 2. There are only so many players that you can play strategy cards on. It's unrealistic to expect that you will be able to play a strategy card on all nine of your hitters in one inning. It's also unrealistic to expect good results when you bank everything on using every single card on your deck on one hitter. You need to find the balance between these. I personally like 5 or 6 batters that will have a decent to great use of my best strategy cards. That way, I can use my offensive strategy cards when one of those batters has runners in scoring position as opposed to just playing them every time one of my best hitters comes to the plate, regardless of situation. And if you have a limited number of players you plan on playing all of your strategy cards on, you probably want those players to cost more than the players you don't intend on using them on. But the more players you can play them on, the more you get to be selective with using strategy cards at the best possible time. So it's a spectrum between those two things that you need to figure out where you want to be. With pitching strategies, you can basically play them all on the same player as you only have one pitcher at a time. But you do need to keep in mind that there are only a certain number of high-leverage at-bats in a game. You need to play around with what a good balance for you is. Third, what stats on a card are you using? Which ones are you not using? Sometimes stats are important, even if you're not using them specifically on a card. For example, you may determine that having speed is important on a team built for on home runs because the speed will help you avoid double plays and keep rallies going. You also might decide that speed isn't important because you'd rather just deck, hit and run, and hide chopper to avoid the double plays and you feel like you have room for those in your deck. You may determine that having lots of negative 3 clutch players is dangerous because you might get railroaded by a stadium that uses those against you. Or you might decide that defense is important because your pitchers will be giving up lots of hits. Or you might decide it isn't important because you plan on scoring 12 runs a game anyway. And a couple runs from poor fielding won't hurt. That's up to your experience to tell you. But if you aren't using something, don't pay for it. 4. Think about handedness. If you aren't making a specific play around an expected meta you expect your opponents to follow, it's always a safe bet to alternate handedness throughout your lineup. If you have 3 left-handed hitters in a row for example, it's really easy for your opponent to find value against them with a pitcher who gets plus 3 command versus lefties. If your lineup alternates to not have 2 of the same handedness in a row, that becomes much more difficult for your opponent. Always alternating isn't necessarily a hard rule, but not having 3 of the same handedness in a row basically is. The exception would be if you are making the judgment that your opponents won't be able to take advantage of it. That's a tough call to make, though. For handedness bonus, it is a little easier. By default, three-quarters of the pitchers in the game are right-handed. So in a neutral situation, you probably want more bonuses against righties in your lineup than you do bonuses against lefties but this also depends on if you expect your opponents to follow that trend or to purposefully go against it in order to gain advantages. In general, I like left-handed pitchers if all else is equal for this very reason. So, you have to determine how much you want to bet on a certain meta existing. For pitchers, you can't be flexible with who your starters pitch against, so it's mostly up to you if you want to make a meta call or just go with the best players. In the bullpen, a good rule of thumb is to have a variety of pitchers for a variety of situations. Players with the bonus against hitters of the opposite hand, for example, a left-handed pitcher with the bonus against right-handed hitters, will also gain that bonus against switch hitters. So that's an easy way to give yourself a little free value. Experience will tell you more about which types of pitchers you tend to need more than others. 5. Not all relief appearances are equal. Pitching in a blowout in the 5th inning is much different than pitching in a tie game in the 7th inning against your opponent's best hitters. You don't need to cleanly break up every pitcher into categories of this situation only, because there will be times where your options are limited. But you should use this understanding to recognize that you want some of your relievers to cost more than others it doesn't make sense to have all of the most expensive relievers in the game in your bullpen, because then you're pitching a Roldis Chapman against the bottom of your opponent's hoarder. And you definitely want your best relievers you can afford going against your opponent's best hitters. Especially in close games, especially in clutch situations, and especially when they have cards in their hand. You want to be able to leverage your bullpen to use expensive guys when you need them and cheaper guys when you don't. But you also want to make sure that your cheaper guys don't blow the game completely. You have to find a balance there. You also may consider rostering pitchers with different command and out balance. A pitcher with low command and higher outs will likely do better against singles hitters and weak hitters in general, whereas a pitcher with high command and low outs will do better against hitters with dangerous charts. For the most part, this difference isn't huge, but it is a little thing you can consider. 6. Make sure you won't have to pitch tired. Pitching tired is really bad. Giving your opponent the power die on every at-bat is insanely good for them. It basically makes the expected batting stats versus tired Koji Uehara to be similar or worse than against fresh Phil Matone. Even if it means using an 80-point reliever fresh instead, never frozen, make sure you won't have to pitch tired. A 1-IP pitcher can give you two-thirds of an inning per game if they pitch one inning in two straight games and then take a rest day. A 2- or 3-IP pitcher can give you one inning per game if they pitch one inning one game, then two innings the next game, and then take a rest day. Or one inning and then three innings with two rest days. You'll never get exact optimal ending usage, so leave yourself some wiggle room, but an easy baseline is that 2 multi-ending relievers and 6 one-ending relievers give you 6 endings per game, but this also assumes that you plan on using all of those pitchers. Flexibility can be nice to fit situation as well, so feel free to factor that in. Most important, don't pitch tired. Seven. In-game managerial decisions will always be context dependent, but it's good to have an idea of what you would do in hypothetical situations. There will be different decisions for whatever your team looks like. The most important thing to consider in team building. What groups of strategies do you think are the best? Build around that. If you don't know the answer to that, experiment. See what you like. Just like college. That's it for today's show. See you next time.